You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today, we've got Pete Lamson, who is the CEO of Jazz HR, an SMB-focused recruiting software slash applicant tracking system company designed to streamline the hiring process. Pete, how's it going? We are well and great to be with you. Yeah, great to have you here. So yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I'd love to learn a little more about your background. I did a little research beforehand. You know, you graduated from Harvard Business School and previously, you know, SVP of Global Sales. So talk a little bit about kind of your story and how that led up to where you are now as a CEO of Jazz HR. Sure. So I have been in the entrepreneurial space virtually my entire career, probably most influenced by my dad, who was a dentist. And while that's not necessarily what people think of in terms of entrepreneurial ventures, you know, I, I always admired that that he literally with his own hands created his own professional and personal lifestyle. And that was something I always admired that, that his kind of self-drive and and ultimately my mom pitching in and helping the business as well. And so the two of them carved out a, a wonderful life for themselves and something I've tried to emulate in different ways, but emulate nonetheless. And so my career has largely been focused around emerging growth, technology-based companies, mostly focused on the SMB space, and that's where Jazz HR competes today. Some hits and some misses, as you might imagine, and, and some that went on to do very large things. I, I spent five years at Carbonite, which is an online backup play for consumers, and, and I actually came on board there to spearhead the launch into the SMB space. We went public along the way and it was a great ride and I spent some time at Monster in their early days as well. And again, with that kind of common theme of assisting small businesses and now doing it again in Jazz HR where I've been for about four and a half years and it's been a terrific ride and we feel like we're really just hitting our stride now and having fun in the process. Got it. So Jazz HR, can you, I, I gave kind of the, the one sentence around it. Can you talk a little bit about what it does and how yeah. you guys make money as well? Sure. So we're a SaaS-based recruiting solution. What we do is we simplify the recruiting process for small businesses, which we define as a business with roughly between 50 and 500 employees. And we have companies that are larger and smaller than that, but that's really our target fit. Within that market, 86% of end-user customers of small businesses don't have a recruiting solution in place. They'll work with the big job boards like Indeed or ZipRecruiter or many of the companies who we actually also partner with. But once candidate flow for their open job starts coming in, it's it's some hodgepodge of Microsoft Office products. So it's Excel, it's Word, it's email inbox management. And with a 1.2 million customer TAM in that size market, 86% having nothing is a big market to go after. And so that's what we do. Our solution greatly simplifies the recruiting process. Generally, the feedback we get from our customers is we reduce the amount of time they spend on recruiting by anywhere from 50 to 60%. Very, very affordable. Charts as little as 39 bucks a month. And yes, there's price points higher than that, as you might imagine. And ultimately, it allows them to provide a better candidate experience, even for candidates who they don't hire. And that's important to their employer brand as well. And so they get better candidates at a more effective price point and they do it more effectively and and faster. So that's how that's been kind of the primary value proposition that we drive, which is world-class product, award-winning support at a price point that's purpose-built for the SMB market. Got it. And 
what kind of numbers are you open to sharing today? I'm looking at Crunchbase right now, about 25 million bucks raised, read somewhere else close to 10 million bucks in ARR. I guess that could be wrong too. So growth rates, employee size, all that, what can you share? Yeah, we're pretty open about everything here. In fact, just this morning, we were, I think it was this morning, uh, we were named to the Inc. 5000 for the fourth time out of the last five years. Nice. Right now, we've got, we're about 15 million in run rate ARR. We've got about 80 employees, a little, little less than that. 6,500 customers, pre-COVID growing at about 34% per year, marching toward rule of 40. A little bit of a speed bump, as, as you might imagine, for a recruiting company selling to SMBs over the last three months. But we've really seen a large pickup in the last two months, which we think is encouraging, frankly, for all of us. So those are kind of our high-level metrics, but happy to share more if you like. Got it. That's helpful. And I mean, we've had other, you know, different applicant tracking system, SaaS companies on the podcast as well. I guess for you, would you say it's there's anything particularly different about the software or is it more so the way you guys sell it, the way you guys approach sales? What do you think it is? Well, I, I think that most of our known competitors are a bit upmarket from us. They tend to be in the mid-market or enterprise market. I mean, Taleo and and Greenhouse and Lever and so forth. And they're excellent companies and their products are very good, but they're they're built and priced, frankly, for a larger target market that we're going after. And so we have been successful in our target market, which is more of, a, of an open space. It's less competitive by this confluence of really, really, really good product that we continue to improve every release, backed by the industry-leading award-winning support. We just won a Stevie Award for our customer support. And the thought is that the market we're going after, many of these folks are non-technical by nature. And not that our product is particularly difficult to use. We think it's actually very easy to use, but sometimes people want some help. And yes, they can do it by reading an article or watching a two-minute video within Jazz HR. But if you just want to talk to somebody, we make it easy for them to do that as well. And or have someone walk you, you know, walk a particular process through for you or do it for you. So we make that very easy. And and then again, we price this at a point that, you know, boy, it's tough to say no to. If we can, if we can reduce your time spent on recruiting. Because often, oftentimes, you know, if you've got a hundred person company, there's a it's a one or two person HR department, they get a thousand things going on and recruiting is time consuming, even in a favorable market like like right now. And if we can give them back some more hours in their day while still providing a very good candidate experience, I think that's the reason that we're growing at the rate we are. And what's kind of the most gratifying for us, and again, I think it more speaks to our, our target market of most of our customers have never used a recruiting solution before. Again, 86% use Microsoft Office products. Is a month or three after using Jazz HR, they, they, we get comments regularly of, boy, how did I not know this was here before? And that's kind of gratifying to hear. And that, that all leads to, to good uh, both gross and net retention performance as well. And our North Star is really customer lifetime value. So we pay a lot of attention to to our gross and net retention because at our price point, you know, no one's getting rich off of a one and done subscriber. We need to hang on to these customers for a long time. So that customer experience in every sense of the word, from product to support to pricing to everything, you know, every interaction with us is is critical to ensure we have uh, compelling retention numbers. Is there anything around customer experience? Let's say someone's listening to this right now and they're like, yeah, that sounds, that all sounds good. I don't even know where to start to drive a good customer experience. Is there a book? Is there something you read, something you listen to? What is it? You know, honestly, and maybe this isn't the answer you're, you're looking for, Eric, but I think it's sort of school of hard knocks, at least, at least for me. 
And the, the more you do this, the more you realize that that is so important, especially in the SMB space that inherently has higher churn numbers to begin with, because X percent of them are going to go out of business every year and maybe even more so right now because of COVID. So the folks you got, you got to hang on to them. We begin our retention efforts literally in the onboarding process. And what that means for us is, again, our product isn't particularly hard to use, but we do provide onboarding services. We offer those for free. Customers don't pay extra to onboard. We give them, I think it's three free hours of onboarding. And frankly, if somebody needs more, we're going to give it to them and we're not going to charge them for it. And the reason is we want them to understand and use our product because we know and we have the confidence in our product that if they use it and they understand how much it can help them, they're going to stick with us. So this is a lifetime value investment on our part. And so it's it's doing whatever it takes to delight that customer. And that generally means getting them up and running, helping them understand the value that the product brings. One of the most rewarding things for me is if I'm ever having a bad day, going and read reading our reviews on any of the third-party customer review sites like Capterra or G2 or Software Advice and and you read the pros and you read the cons. The cons actually, I think, kind of restore your faith in humanity. I actually generally think they're fair. But the pros are invariably, you know, every other one talks about our customer support. And that to me is critical to that. It shows up on our P&L. It shows up in our metrics. It shows up in our retention numbers. It shows up in our, our growth and net retention, I should say. So listening to your customer, understand their pain points, find out what frustrates them, and then laser focus on those things during not only the sales process, of course, but don't forget about those pain points when they become a customer as well. And there's a number of ways you can address it. And yes, you know, humans are a piece of it for sure. But marketing, I mean, very easy to, to digest videos, webinars, deep dives into the product where needed, in-app messaging, little tips and tricks on how to make things easier for people. I mean, every single customer touch point, whether it's in person and human or not, drives that customer perception of the value they're receiving from you. And so pay attention to those. And I think that's, that's part of why we've had the success we've had. Yeah. I, I mean, look, you said it was three hours of free onboarding, correct? Yep. I think that's amazing for people that might be paying. If I'm a $39 a month user, do I get the three free hours as well? Not, it- that's our low end product. And no, but also to be fair, you don't need it. It's uh, our 39. It, that's our entry level product. Super easy to use. But for our mid-level, which we call plus and pro, that's where the, the onboarding comes in. And we do provide that introduction there. But but for our low end or what we call our hero product, you mm-hmm. there'd be nothing to, to talk about for three hours. It's pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what I'm hearing is just, you know, whatever it is, the three hours is amazing because you're just over-delivering, right? That's basically the message right. I'm hearing. Right. And, and honestly, most don't need three hours. And that's, and that's kind of the beauty of it as well. It's, you know, an hour, hour or so, even then they, okay, got it. I, I'm good to go. Some customers prefer a little more hand-holding or, hey, you know, can you show some other team members how this might work? Uh, And we're happy to do that. Got it. You know, one thing that I want to touch upon, I think it's a unique perspective because the company was founded in 2009, correct? Correct. And you said you joined four years ago. So you were hired to become the CEO of the company. And I I think these conversations are always interesting because it's unique perspective. So what would you say? So, you know, now, you know, I know I have a lot of friends that are always looking to, you know, hire great CEOs, but I think there's also, A, how do you find great CEOs like yourself? And B, how do you make sure the onboarding is perfect so the CEO is set up for success? Right. So I was recruited by our investors to join the company, as you said, about four years ago. And I, I think that where kind of what helped me get up to speed quickly was primarily two things. 
First, our founder, who remains on our board to this day, a gentleman by the name of Don Charlton, who was the visionary behind Jazz HR, and, and every single one of us is, is here today because of him and the vision for our business that he started, and we're grateful for, for his efforts. He was very instrumental in, in my, particularly my first year, year and a half of getting up to speed as quickly as possible. And the second thing was having a very supportive board. And we've got a number of different venture investors in Jazz HR and, and one independent board member, and they have been really helpful. And I've, again, I've been in the early stage emerging growth tech space for a, a period of time. And this is the best board I've certainly that I've worked with. And there's an understanding that no business is perfectly and linearly up and to the right, and that any business is going to have some challenges and so forth. And they've been very pragmatic and helpful and they push where they should. That's their job but it's always in a very productive way and delivered in a way that it's clear that it's only to help the business and the, and our customers and the team. So I think those two things, and then the combination of a really good founder relationship and his insights shared with me and a, and a supportive board have been the, the primary focus. And well, and then, you know what, I'm leaving on a big group as well, honestly, that I probably should have started with, but that's the team, our executive leadership team that, that I'm a part of none of this happens without them and, and the entire company and they make my job look easy. So I get to come and chat with you and share these compelling numbers and so forth. But it's uh, having a great team around you is, boy, that's a, a huge difference as well. Yeah. You know, what I've seen happen in the past, and this has actually happened when, when I've hired a CEO in the past and, you know, as the founder, you, I'm speaking about me now and I'm looking at other founders, they can't get out of the way, right? They need to micromanage everything because it's it's their baby and everything. So I'm guessing, I guess what I'm asking is the cadence that you had with your your founder, how did he make sure that he got out of your way while still supporting you? Like, what did it look like? How often did you meet? Like, you know, was he like, hey, you got to like do this like every second? Like, what did that look like? So he has a remarkable self-awareness that I think is, unique in a situation where a founder is bringing on a new CEO, which is a, you know, this is his baby started at his kitchen table, literally. And all of a sudden there's this person that probably he has high hopes for, but doesn't really know coming in to help raise his child, if you will. And Don balanced the need for my own learning and getting up to speed with his desire to, of course, continue to influence and, and push the business appropriately with also giving me the freedom to spread my own wings as I start to get on board and develop more and more of, a, of an understanding and intuition for the business. And that is a tough, tough role to play. And there's no way that I, I could have done so as effectively as he did. So he knew kind of when to lean in and when to back off just innately. And we didn't always get it right. I mean, myself too, right? I, 100%. You know, that's, that's, it's inevitable. But, you know, remarkable individual. Again, the self-awareness and, yeah. the, and the presence to be able to do that. And ultimately, the confidence to be able to do that because that's what it takes really to, to let go like that. And then we would meet, especially in the early days, we'd be talking three, four times a day informally. Got it. Okay. So I'm assuming the way it was set up, and this is really helpful, by the way, it's, he was out of the day to day. So, you know, people weren't going to him for stuff, correct? No, actually. Okay. And perhaps even more impressive. Don is a product visionary. And in fact, if you, he's just his next venture right now that he just launches a company called Commute, K-O-M-M-U-T-E, which is a video sharing platform, which is terrific for small businesses. So he transitioned from being CEO 
of the company to the chief product officer. And so he stayed on board for, gosh, I want to see my first year and a half-ish, maybe two years of the business. Maybe it was longer. And now he's moved on to his next exciting adventure, but remains on on our board. And we still talk regularly. Got it. Okay. So th- that's unique because usually, or most of the time, the CEO would move on and try to not right. get in the way. Right. In this case, he actually was basically reporting to you. Correct. I mean, technically true, but I would say we were more partners, but yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's good perspective too, because sometimes let's say it's a let's say it's not a really big company where the CEO should get out of the way, but maybe it's a, it's, it's a smaller company. Guess what? Maybe the two should partner up for a little bit right. and then kind of fade out. Now, I have a bunch of other questions, but I'm trying to be respectful of your time. You talked about earlier when I asked you about the three passion points for you, you mentioned profitable business growth. And I think that's an interesting thing to say, you know, with COVID hitting. So I'm curious, when COVID hit, what happened and what actions did you have to take to make sure the ship was continuing to move on? First, I'm not convinced we're out of the woods yet by any means. No way. Yeah. Some of the health, the health news, the economic news is going to lag the health news and with, that, with some of the health infection rates and so forth and numbers and, and deaths tragically spiking up. We may have more to go, but right now there appears to have been a strong recovery. But in the, in the early days of this, and for us, our kind of big downturn was, was a 60-day window that went roughly from March 15th to about May 15th. And in the teeth of it, it's scary because you don't know where the bottom's gonna be. We had the bottom fallout on our business for about a six-week period. Roughly March 15th to the end of April was tough. We coincidentally had a quarterly board meeting in late April and our entire discussion was on, hey, let's talk about scenario planning because we don't know where this is going. And so we, we battened down the hatches on the expense side and the normal things like hiring freeze and sort of t and took care of itself in COVID. But, but we really reduced our, our expense outlay as much as we could. Having said that, we were and still are firmly committed to our employee base. And we wanted to do everything we could to not have a layoff. I mean, all the people that have worked so hard to create this engine that this business has become, not only do we feel a debt and an obligation to them, but but if you cut out that that muscle and that bone, that's going to leave a mark and we're going to hurt ourselves when the inevitable recovery comes. So for both kind of human and, and frankly, selfish business reasons, we wanted to try and get through this without a layoff. And remarkably, we, we've done that and at a time when most of our competitors almost all of our competitors have had material layoffs. And I think that's also helped us from a positioning perspective as we haven't had to absorb that dent in our culture and our, in our employee base. And then wonderfully and somewhat remarkably, given the fact that we sell recruiting software at a time when there's 40 million unemployed people and, and, and you know, the unemployment rate is knocking on the door of 20% and we're in the middle of a global pandemic and recession, our results ended up being nowhere near where we thought they might be for Q2. In fact, even our our best of our worst case scenarios, we've we far surpassed and we still actually ended up growing in Q2, which nice. again, given that we sell recruiting to small businesses, the, the market hardest hit by this was surprising. And then June and July have been gangbusters for us. July was the single best month in the history of the company. And August is strong. And the hard thing is you're, you're looking at small data samples here. You're looking at small time windows, but it's kind of how you have to look at this right now because this has been this COVID feels like it's been here forever. Well, it's actually been here for four and a half or five months, which is in the grand scheme of things, a small amount of time, but the amount of damage that's been done to the overall economy has been astounding. So we take it, you would argue day by day, but, but more week by week and month by month. And so far the trends are very positive. Again, I'm, I'm not 
totally convinced that we're out of the woods yet, but every week that goes by, I feel more optimistic. I think that's the, I was exactly going to ask you about that. I was like, are you taking it month by month? But it sounds like, you know, week by week, month by month, and then kind of just seeing what happens, right? And not getting too confident, but also not being too down as well. Right. And we're also not trying to lose our mojo, right? And, you know, and I don't mean that in any cliched, silly way, but we have been a, I mean, we work hard, play hard. I mean, this is a results oriented, not for the faint of heart kind of environment. And we are, you know, don't take yourself too seriously, but take your job deathly seriously and deliver results for our customers, deliver results for our investors and for each other. And we've tried not to lose that even in the teeth of this downturn. And so far, so good. I think that's part of what has enabled us to keep driving through this. And and again, wonderfully, now we're beginning to emerge and we seem to be stronger than even before, which I, I, I'll admit to being surprised by, but boy, it's wonderful. Got it. Working towards wrapping up here, I do want to jump back to the CEO thing for a second because this is this is selfish for me because I have a new CEO starting in two weeks. Congratulations. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> so, you know, what kind of questions do you think were the most effective ones when you had your one-on-ones with the founder? The central thing that we focused on in my first six, well, I mean, we still focus on it, but especially the first six months was product market fit. And because the business had had been very successful to that point, and I wanted to understand our audience, understand their pain points, their problems, which again, problems and opportunities are two sides of the same coin, and understand kind of the five classic product management questions, which is what problem are we solving for who, how many of them are there, why will they buy, and why will they buy from us? And we spent probably six months on those five questions. And even when we weren't consciously aware that's what we were talking about, that's what we were talking about. The nice thing is once you understand the answers to those questions, you, it gives you focus on the market you're going after, but it gives you permission also to say no to the market that you're not going after. So it adds some clarity and some focus in decision-making and it's freeing in that sense because you can say no. And then we work through, all right, well, this is what our product is going to be focused on. This is the problem we're going to solve, which, again, we're not going after dentists. We're not going after enterprise companies. Then what's the best way to reach them? So then, you know, you're talking about go to market, right? And what's the, and SMBs are, are notoriously difficult to acquire at a favorable CAC, especially LTV to CAC ratios, and because retention can be, can be lower there. And so we spent a lot of time on that, on devising the right go to market engine to hit that market. And we continued doing some of the things that were there when I arrived, certainly, and refining those and so forth. And then we've added some new arrows in the quiver as well, particularly around indirect sales. That's been a nice win for the business. So that was, PMF was our, our the single biggest thing that Don and I would spend a fair amount of time working on. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What is one new tool that you've added, in, let's say in the last 12 months that has done a lot for you? So it could be like a physical thing or it could be like an app, but it cannot be named Jazz HR. Uh, SciSense. Oh, SciSense. Yes, yes. Yes. I'll admit to being, you know, I, I got some gray hairs, so I'm kind of a, a dinosaur and, and it takes a little bit of time for the old dog to loom some new tricks. But once I do, I, I'll latch onto them like a dog on a bone to continue the horrible analogy. But SciSense has been terrific. And it's one of the first things I look at every single morning. I check in several times a day and kind of see how things are going and what trends, like, especially with COVID going on, because this is also real time. But that's been a uh, a very, very helpful tool for me, but and I think also the business. It's increasingly one of the ways that we manage and define the business and, and measure the business every day. 
Got it. So that's a cool BI tool. We'll drop that into the show notes. And final question from my side, what is one must read book you'd recommend to everyone? Horowitz is the, the hard thing about hard things. And I, I read that actually in my first couple of weeks on the job here. And I found it to be uh, very helpful, a very real, very human, sometimes laugh out loud, funny uh, read. So it wasn't just as boring textbooks with charts and graphs and things you're kind of mind numbing after a while and very real. And it was from a guy who sat in that seat for a long time. And we all know the successes, but you know, he, like all entrepreneurs, had his dark days as well. And as he says in his book, you know, there's always a way. You can find a way out and never say die. And, and that sort of stuck with me and has ever since. Great book and most recommended on this podcast. So Pete, this has been great. What is the best way for people to find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name. Probably the best place. Cool. Great. Pete, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.